as you look at the screen, um, you might notice that the title for the sermon is Riot in Ephesus. That's not a command. Just thought you should know. I think some of the people in Ephesus thought it was. And, uh, um, and they were ready to do so if they needed to or if they thought they needed to. We find the Apostle Paul, uh, beginning in Acts 19, 21 through 41, we find the Apostle Paul um, ready to move on, ready to go from Ephesus on uh, through Macedonia and Achaia. Uh, but he needed to go to Jerusalem, and he also wants to go to Rome, you know. How many of you guys want to go to some of those places? Anybody want to go to Jerusalem and Rome? Anybody? Wouldn't that be great um, to be able to go see some of the places uh, where Jesus walked and where Paul walked and preached, to see some of those things? Um, our purpose, though, would be a little bit different than the Apostle Paul's. Our purpose would just be to see those places. Paul's purpose was, of course, to evangelize. Uh, there were basically three things that the Apostle Paul did, um, and one of them was to uh, share the good news, to evangelize. Uh, another one was to minister to the churches uh, in all of those places to uh, build them up, to teach them some things that, uh, and answer some questions maybe that they, uh, that they hadn't had answered before. And then, of course, the other one would be um, also to send out others that would go and share the gospel. But the Apostle Paul, as he was preparing for that, um, saw something else happen as a result of his preaching the gospel there in Ephesus. And so if you have your Bible... Open your Bible to Acts chapter 19, we'll read verses 21 through 41, and we'll see what happened to Paul, and we'll see how that uh, um, relates to modern day events and modern day um, problems. Uh, if you'll stand, if you're able. <clears throat> when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit, when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. But he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned many away, away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. And when Paul wanted to go to the people, the disciples would not allow him. Then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. Some, therefore, cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand and wanted to make his defense to the people. But when they found out that he was a Jew, 
all with one voice cried out for about two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesians, of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. But you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar, there being no reason which we may give account, give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. You may be seated. <clears throat> it's, a, it's a long, uh, if you will, a long text here. Uh, and, and there are several things that we see. One, that the Apostle Paul wanted to go, um, uh, go on from there and go to the churches in Macedonia and Achaia and even go back to Jerusalem. Now, they think that the possibility here was for Jerusalem was that he was going to deliver that offering that had been taken, to take that offering uh, back to Jerusalem to take care of them because they had been so generous in their giving that now they were in need. Uh, so they think that's what was going on. And he said, after that, I want to go to Rome. Not just did he want to go see Rome, but that he knew that there were people there that needed to hear the gospel. There were people there that needed to be uh, encouraged in the gospel, and he wanted to go to Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him, Timothy and Erastus. He sent them ahead of himself uh, so that they could make things ready, so that they could prepare the way, so that people would be ready for Paul when he got there, so there'd be a place to stay, so that things would be ready for him. But he himself stayed in Asia for a time. So he stayed in Ephesus, and... Um, and and we see that um, well, go back to um, uh, to verse ten. Uh, and this continued. He was teaching in the school of Tyrannus, and this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And then, if you look um, <clears throat> in verse twenty, uh, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And so, what we see. Uh, happening with the Apostle Paul while he's there in Ephesus is we see him preaching and we see him teaching. We see people hearing the gospel. We, we see people not just in Ephesus hearing the gospel, but we see the people in Ephesus hearing the gospel and expanding out from there, going out from there in their travels, if you will, and sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And so that um, uh, all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. So that the gospel is, uh, is going forth, it's going forth in the city, it's going forth to the people that Paul's teaching and preaching to, and they're taking it and sharing the gospel with people everywhere else. So, um, and so he stayed in, and so his work, the work that he was doing was very successful. Uh, and we see a lot of people in, uh, in Ephesus uh, turning away from the false gods. We see a lot of people turning away from belief in idols and in false gods, turning, uh, repenting, uh, turning away from those gods, turning to Jesus Christ, trusting in Christ. And so what we see here now is um, uh, about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. And the way, of course, the way, of course, is the way of Jesus Christ. Jesus, remember, John 14, 6, I am the way, 
the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, if we could um, boil down the message of Jesus Christ, to me, that's one of, the, my, that's one of my favorite verses. Um, of course, I say that about so many of them, don't I? But John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way, the only way to the Father to God the Father, is through Jesus Christ. Um, in John 17, 3, remember what Jesus said there? See if I can remember. He said, and this is eternal life, that they know you and they know Jesus Christ whom you sent. The only way to have eternal life is to know Jesus Christ. Jesus, uh, I, I mean, everything that he said, he, he's, he's the gate, right? And, and the sheep come through the gate. There's no other way, okay? Uh, and so when the Apostle Paul was preaching, it's, it's my opinion that he was preaching what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, all of these other gods and goddesses, all of these other idols that they worshipped in Ephesus in Asia were not gods at all. Okay? They were not, neither are they now gods. And that's what the Apostle Paul was preaching. And so uh, um, there arose a great commotion about the way way of Jesus Christ. There's a guy named Demetrius. He was a silversmith. He made, uh, they believe what he made was little um, images of the temple of Diana. And what they think would happen often was that uh, the people who bought those would take those to the temple and offer those as um, offerings and sacrifices in the temple. Because guess what? They were silver. So they would offer them there. Or they thought they might take them home and use them at home on their own worship hearth to worship this goddess Diana. Either way, what happened was people like Demetrius and, um, and those um, who uh, of similar occupation made these kind of things and sold them, and they made a good living doing that. Um, how many of you um, go to oh, some historical museum and maybe there's uh, uh, just a little image of some historical figure. I'm thinking of, of Abraham Lincoln, okay? How many of you, because when I was a kid, we'd go to the museums and, or whatever, and we'd buy the little, the little um, I don't know if they were bronze or whatever they were, bust of Abraham Lincoln, and we'd have that, and we'd set it. Sometimes you have one, and it's even a bank, right? How many of you have seen those and bought those? Um, guess what? People make a good living selling you those things, right? Even though we're not worshiping those things, people make a good living making those and selling those. And you can imagine how much more of a kind of a living these guys made because they took these things, they made them, and they were an object of worship for the people who would come into Ephesus. And so um, they made a good living. Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see, and, and, and by the way, you notice that this is the first thing he talks about, okay? Okay. I want you to notice that he does two other things in here. Uh, and basically, he's appealing to their, um, to their finances, to their income, to their economics. Okay, And then the next thing he's appealing to is their religion. And he's also appealing to their patriotism. Okay, uh, and so, But the first thing he's appealing to is their income. And any time any Christian belief affects somebody's income they're going to be upset about the christians okay and it's just what's going to happen if, if you think about it um i'll use one that's not really in in that vein but um 
you think about coal, okay? The use of coal has fallen into disrepute, right? People think it gets it dirty, and it is. Um, and even fossil fuels, uh, now people want so badly, or so many people want so badly, to have um, uh, green technology, okay? And to save the planet, all right? And I'm all for that. I'm all for saving the planet. Um, but what's happening in so many places is uh, coal and even even uh, gasoline and oil have fallen into disrepute. There, it's not any good, they say, okay? And so um, what happens is people lose their livelihood over that. People lose their income over that. Uh, economics uh, go south, you know. Uh, prices go higher, and, and it affects everybody. And so what happened with them is as, as men and women were converted to Christ, as Paul preached Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, and people heard that, and they repented of their sin. And for them, their sin at that point was the worship of false gods and false goddesses. And as they repented of that sin, they began to get rid of those trinkets, get rid of those, uh, uh, of those idols. They began to not purchase them anymore. They began to not go into the temple of Diana and into the other temples to give those temples their income. And so... Uh, what happened then was people like um, Demetrius and all of the other craftsmen like him began to lose income. And when your income goes down, guess what? Your anger goes up. And they got upset. And Demetrius was leading all of his, uh, his uh, cohorts to try to do something about it. And so he says, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. In other words, we make a living from this. Make a good living. And moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. Saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. Isn't that interesting? How I don't understand how anybody could believe that something that they have carved is a god. And, and, and I don't understand how they can believe that they can make up in their mind and in their uh, imagination an idea of what their God should look like and, or does look like, and they can bow down to that thing. You remember what, um, I think it's in the Proverbs, might even might be in the Psalms, that says that, um, that people who worship those idols are like them. Remember that text? Basically, it says they have eyes, but they can't see. They have a nose, but they can't smell. They have a mouth, but they can't talk. Ears, but they can't hear. They have hands, but they can't hold anything. They have feet, but they can't move. Okay? And people who worship them become like them. And I, I just, I, I, and so it freaks me out that people would actually worship something like that. But he is defending their trade, and, and then he is defending their goddess. Okay? And he's also defending their city. Um, Throughout almost, all, uh, moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed. Now I want you to look at something here, um, because <clears throat> is being a craftsman a bad thing? I, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, 
how many of you like to work on things or make things? Anybody? Um, yeah, R- Ron does. Ron also likes to tell me what uh, I need to do to fix my lawnmower. Okay? And, and, um, and it happens and it works, okay? And so uh, when there's a part that needs to be replaced and I'm not sure how to do it, He'll say, it's underneath here. You need to go like this and take care of this. You need to take this off so you can get to this. And, and eventually when my lawnmower is starting, he says, we'll make a mechanic out of you yet. It's not going to happen. Um, I'm, I'm going to still call people like Ron and say, hey, I need some help. Uh, but I like working on things. Uh, I like making things. Um, I was uh, an art major in college. I love to draw. Uh, I love to make um, ceramics. By the way, um, when I did the ceramics, you know how you make uh, a ceramic bowl? You have to have the clay, and the clay has to be wet, and it's yucky, okay? But I, don't, I like to do that, but then if you use that clay or you cut off a piece of the clay, you can throw it back in and reuse it, uh, but you've got to get it ready again. Well, my wife was the one who did that for me, okay? Um, and so uh, when I was making something out of clay... I would take that piece of clay and the thing, it would go back in my little pot and it'd be with water in there and she would stick her hands in there and just love it, okay? Not me. I like the making of it and the painting of it and stuff like that. It's not, it's, it's not bad to be a craftsman, okay? There are uh, things that Kathy does like that, you know, the drawings and the paintings and stuff like that and, um, and it's not bad to be a craftsman. You look around at all of the stuff that people did for Spark Studio and at the piano and stuff like that. Uh, it's not bad to be a craftsman. That's not a bad thing. But the thing that was wrong was what they were making and the purpose of what they were making. Okay? And so being a craftsman isn't gonna, shouldn't fall into disrepute. It shouldn't pe- people shouldn't look on that as a bad thing, look down on that. But what they were making was uh, a, a piece of a, a, an image of a temple that would draw people away from worshiping the one true God. And so when he says um, that uh, um, this trade of ours is in danger of falling into disrepute, the reason it was in danger of falling into disrepute was not because they weren't good at their job and not because uh, being a craftsman was bad, but because the God that they were trying to get people to worship wasn't really a God at all. And so, yes, their trade was falling into disrepute. And so, then he said also, the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed. Well, you, know, you can look at a lot of uh, things that people accuse Christians of, and so many of them are false. This one here um, is, is, you know, it's going to happen. If everybody turns to Christ, well, they're not going to go to the temple of Diana anymore. And, um, and the... Uh, goddess diana may be despised why worship her if she's not real right and then the temple uh the magnificence will be destroyed now some people think that 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 would say her temple would be destroyed uh and that wasn't the purpose of the christians that wasn't the purpose of the apostle paul to uh and the other christians there to destroy that temple the purpose was though that they would begin to worship god and when you worship god guess what his magnificence is elevated and all of the others their magnificence is if you will destroyed and so the, the accusations that he throws here, yes, all three of them are pretty much true. If Christians um, repent, if people repent from following a false god and they begin to follow Jesus Christ, they begin to follow the one true God, then, um, then their lives are going to change. 
their, um, their uh, worship will change. Their, everything about the way they live their life will change. And so when the preaching of the gospel takes effect in a person's heart, um, those persons' worship changes. Their life changes. Their spending changes and their priorities change. And that's what was happening with these men and women who lived in Ephesus. They're, they were hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they are saved by grace through faith, not of works. They were hearing that there was uh, hope after death. They were hearing that there was life after death. And they began to, um, to put away, and, and by put away, I don't mean hide in a closet. I mean get rid of those idols and begin to worship uh, Jesus Christ. And so um, their lives were changing. Their worship was changing. Their spending was changing. They weren't taking their money and buying these uh, silver artifacts uh, and worshiping the one that this false god or goddess. And their priorities changed. They had other things that they needed to do with their money. Can you think that maybe, maybe the money that they had, um, that they had been investing or spending on these uh, images, now they were giving to the offering that the Apostle Paul was taking to help those in Jerusalem. Can you think about that? You know, I wonder how, um, how many of, how many Christians have so many things that we spend our money on that, uh, and, 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 and not, not bad things, you know, but things that we spend our money on that maybe uh, we could use more wisely for other things. Um, I, I, I continue to be, what's the word, um, amazed at how well uh, this church gives. You know, when I talk about, uh, about, about an offering for missionaries, um, I'm not seeing people shaking their heads no. I'm seeing people shake their head yes and say amen, you know. Uh, and so um, lives change when you begin to follow Christ. Um, priorities change. Spending changes. And so the question is, is uh, you know, how much of our, has our life changed? Uh, has our worship changed? Has our life changed? Has our spending and our priorities changed since we become a Christian? And, uh, and if it hasn't, then we need to take a look at what God is talking to us about and whether we really have had a change of heart and whether we're really following Jesus the way or not. Um, so Demetrius uh, was upset that his um, trade was going to fall into disrepute and I think that was the one thing, the most important thing for him. He wasn't as concerned about the temple of the great goddess Diana, and he wasn't as concerned about um, her magnificence being destroyed, and he wasn't even as concerned about the city of Ephesus as he was about his own income. And the only reason he would be as concerned about those things is because if they fall into disrepute, guess what? His income goes down, and he loses money. And so uh, he was talking to the... the um, the other tradesmen, and when they heard what he said, they were full of wrath, and they cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And I think this is interesting here, because then it says the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord. Uh, and they seized Gaius and Aristarchus, uh, who were two of Paul's traveling companions, um, and they were going to put them on trial. And they, they, they were all... And who knows that they weren't also maybe trying to get Paul to come in there so that they could take Paul out too. But they were, the city was filled with confusion. And then we look on it and some cried one thing and some cried another for the assembly was confused and most of them didn't know what, why they had come together. 
Paul wanted to go in, and the disciples wouldn't let him go in. And some of the officials of the city, uh, they called them, I think, Asiarchs, uh, um, pleaded with him that he wouldn't go into the theater too. Now, I can see this picture here. The Apostle Paul, the one who um, has done all the preaching, the one that they are standing against, that they're crying out against, the Apostle Paul, they say, he's the one who's caused so many people to turn away. He's the one we really want. So I can see the Apostle Paul being the uh, theologian and the genius that he was, uh, and of course the, um, uh, the compassionate missionary that he was, ready to go in and to defend his case so that these guys wouldn't have to do it. It's not them that's done this, it's me. And I can also see that the other disciples and the officials said, no, you're not going in. I can see why the disciples would say that because they would not want Paul to be in any more danger. In fact, often when Paul was in danger, people, uh, other disciples helped him uh, escape. And pretty soon, once this uh, uproar dies down, the Apostle Paul uh, departs to go to Macedonia. But what about this official? The, 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 the scripture tells us that the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. I can see a double reason for that. I can see they're his friends. They also don't want the Apostle Paul to be in danger. But I can also see that they're officials of Asia. And if the Apostle Paul goes in to the theater where there's such a ruckus and people find out that it's, it's the Apostle Paul, they could rush on him and kill him and then they would bring down the Roman officials on the, uh, on the city of Ephesus because of the riot that they had caused. And so I can see both things here. Now, as we look at all of this, a couple of the things that we need to understand is that as Christians... Um, there are things that we need to stand for. There are, um, there are things that we need to, um, need to protect, such as life. But we also need to exercise wisdom in doing that. Um, you know, when we preach against abortion, when we uh, rejoice that Roe versus Wade was overturned, there are going to be people that are upset with us. There are going to be people, and, and sometimes they may, uh, I don't want to say attack you physically, but they may attack you verbally. They may get all over you because you believe that uh, a baby has the right to life and that a woman has a right to protection from that. And so um, uh, we've got to... Um, and, and if we preach about that and against that, guess what? There are people that are losing their livelihood because so many abortion mills are being shut down. And there are people who are afraid of that whole idea. There's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, and, and one of them is that, um, that since Roe versus Wade was overturned, some people are saying that that means that there's no protection for a woman who has an ectopic pregnancy, okay? Now, an ectopic pregnancy, I had to ask, is when that baby implants somewhere other than in the womb or the uterus, like in a fallopian tube. That is, is it could be fatal for both the baby and the mother. There are no states in this country that do not allow for treatment of a woman who has an ectopic pregnancy, none. 
And so those people who are out there saying, but we've got to have abortion because if we don't have abortion, we can't protect the woman who has an ectopic pregnancy. They are just disseminating false information. Okay? So we've got to be careful, um, and we've got to know what we're talking about. And we've got to help them see that, that um, to protect that woman who has an ectopic pregnancy is not the same as a woman who just decides she doesn't want to have a baby even though she's pregnant and she aborts that baby even up to nine months of, of, of um, pregnancy. And so, but there are people who are fighting that and using that kind of information because they're going to lose money when these things shut down. And so we have to know what we're talking about. And we have to be willing to... Uh, to fight for what is right. And I don't mean fight physically. We have to be willing to talk and to share. The Apostle Paul was not going about telling people that they needed to not worship Diana. What the Apostle Paul was doing more than anything else was he was going and he was teaching people that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That there is one God, Yahweh, and that there is a Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on the cross. And when they heard that news, and when they turned to Jesus, guess what they turned away from? They turned away from worshiping the false gods. They turned away from worshiping Diana and the other gods that were prevalent throughout the day. And when we see people, and we talk to them and share the gospel with them, and they come to Christ, there's going to be a change in their life, like I said, in their spending and in their priorities and their lifestyle and in their worship. And if they truly come to Christ, they're going to come to believe that all life is sacred. They're going to come to believe that Jesus loves even that little baby, that maybe the dad doesn't love and maybe the mom doesn't love yet either, and that that life is important. The most important thing we can do is tell them about Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what a lot of uh, crisis pregnancy centers are doing. And in doing so, they're saving both the life of the baby and possibly the life of the mother. Enough of that. Someone... Uh, so they went into the, into the theater, and the officials wouldn't let Paul go in. And it's interesting that some cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them didn't know why they had come together. Isn't that interesting? Because there's so much stuff being shouted and so many things going on, and they don't know. All, they, all they've heard is, great is Diana of the Ephesians. That's all they've heard. And other than that, it's just white noise. It's just everybody talking, everybody yelling, and um, they don't even know why they're there. Um, most of them did not know why they had come together. And then they drew out Alexander. Alexander was a Jew. And I want you to see something that happened here. And, and, and the, the, the thinking is that the Jews put Alexander up because they wanted to defend themselves. That there was a, um, uh, a connection, some people believe, between the Jews and between Paul, because Paul had been a Jew. Now he was a Christian. And so the Jews sent forth Alexander to try to disconnect themselves from Paul and from what Paul was teaching. It's interesting to me that, um, uh, that they had been taught all of their lives not to worship false gods, not to um, uh, make uh, false images. And yet here they are siding with those who do that rather than with the one who preaches the one true God. 
it's interesting how um, some people will forsake the truth when, uh, when the world comes calling and when there's worldly pressure. Uh, and it seems like that's kind of what was happening here. And so Alexander went forward, he motioned with his hand, and he wanted to make a defense to the people. And when they found out he was a Jew, they cried out for two hours, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And I'm thinking, that's crazy. For two hours, they're standing there yelling. Uh, and, and what we see is not just, um, uh, I mean, that's what they believed. But you see the emotion, the raw emotion that's going on in their lives, that that they are doing everything they can to um, to save this God of theirs, to protect this God of theirs. And so the city clerk gets up, city clerk gets up and it says, and when the city clerk had quieted the crowd. All right. So for two hours, we have an uh, uh, Alexander, a Jew, and he's standing up there and they're just yelling and uh, great is Diana of the Ephesians and the city clerk gets up. And it seems like, the way I read this, that as soon as the city clerk gets up, raises his hand like this, they recognize the city clerk, and they're all quiet. You know? Don't know if he had to have a gavel, don't know what he did. He certainly didn't have uh, modern-day um, uh, microphones and speakers, but they were in almost immediately quiet. And his argument won the day. Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana? What man is there? All right. And so basically he's appealing to them and saying, listen, anything that the Apostle Paul does cannot destroy this. You know, we all know and everybody in Asia knows that this uh, that that Ephesus is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. Everybody knows this, so it can't be denied. Now, guess what? Not everybody knew that. I mean, Ephesus was the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana, okay? They knew that, but the great goddess Diana was a false god. And, and what about this image which fell down from Zeus? Some people think that, that, um, that sometimes there was a, a meteor that hit the ground, and that was this image that fell down from Zeus and told them, this is where you should place your temple for a certain goddess. Um, and so since these things can't be denied, cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For you brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. They've done nothing wrong. They haven't done anything to hurt you. They haven't done anything to hurt your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius have a, uh, and if fellow craftsmen have a case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined in a lawful, lawful assembly. And so what he's encouraging them to do is to do everything lawfully. Do, do everything according to the law. We see um, that kind of thing happening even today. And when we see Christians being dragged into a court of law because they stand up for their beliefs, because they refuse to make a cake for a homosexual wedding or flowers for a homosexual wedding, um, we need to do what we can to lift them up in prayer. We need to be strong and, uh, and pray for them because guess what? Sometimes the courts are on their sides. And so we need to pray for them. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. We are in danger of being called in question. And so what he was afraid of was that if they continued on what they were doing and if the riot continued and the uproar continued, he was afraid that the Ephesians would leave, lose the opportunity for self-rule in the Roman Empire. 
And if you lose the opportunity for self-rule in the Roman Empire, that doesn't bode well for your city. So his concern was, um, was for the city more than it was for anything else. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. You know, I think it's interesting that even in this case, God used the city clerk, a non-Christian, somebody who, uh, who knew Paul or knew of Paul, but also knew that Paul was a peaceful, uh, God-fearing man, that God used somebody like this city clerk in a miraculous way to rescue the Apostle Paul. God can still do that kind of thing today. He can still do that kind of thing in our world. I think it's interesting that throughout all of this, the Apostle Paul was not going to hesitate. I wonder what Paul would have said if he'd have gotten up. I mean, because you think about the way he answered so many other people. You think about the other apostles when they preached. And I wonder what he would have said. I wonder if if he would have... By the way, this... this uh, theater apparently was big enough to hold something like 25,000 people. I wonder how many 25,000 would have heard the way, the gospel of Jesus Christ, if the Apostle Paul had gotten up. But it's interesting how God uses somebody like this city clerk to rescue them. It's also interesting that the Apostle Paul and the other disciples had enough sense I don't mean that in a negative way. To do what God called them to do. And the Apostle Paul, listening to his other Christians and to non-Christians, to stay out of the theater so that other people could take care of the problem. Sometimes it's wise to step up, and sometimes it's wise not to be the one that steps up. I look at this, and one of the things that continues is um, that gets me more than anything else out of all of this is that so many of the people from Ephesus and all over Asia had turned away uh, from worshiping the false gods. You look at our world today, and you look at the way people live their lives, and you just think that whatever they're doing, they're not worshiping the one true God. Might, I mean, you, you think about how many people are in Streeter today. And yes, there's all kinds of festivities going on. But on any typical Sunday, you think how many people from Streeter are actually in church somewhere? And how many people, and, 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 and would they be in church if their, um, if their lives had changed because of Jesus Christ? Oh, and I know that, that there are some that aren't in church today because they're sick. I get that. I know that. Um, but when your when your heart changes, when Jesus Christ comes in and makes a difference, when you turn away from those false gods, whatever they may be, and you turn toward the worship of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and it would seem to me that the priorities ought to be to worship Him. To worship Him on Sunday mornings at least 
in concert with part of the rest of the body of Christ and to worship Him also throughout the week. I'm, I'm thankful for Tim. I'm, I mentioned a, a couple weeks ago about uh, reading through the book of Proverbs and reading chapter 1 on the first day of the month and chapter 2 on the second day of the month. And pretty soon Tim put out a challenge on Facebook. And I thought, man, that should have been part of the invitation. And so I challenge you. Uh, you know, today is, is July 10. You can start right there in July 10 and read uh, Proverbs chapter 10, tomorrow Proverbs chapter 11. And you can use that as part of your morning worship of the God who sent his son to die for us. I don't know that everybody here has um, turned away from these false gods, turned away from, maybe there's not a, quote, false god, but you just haven't turned to the one true God, Jesus Christ. So we're going to have uh, a hymn of decision. I think it's number 500, Trust and Obey. And it might be that you've just never really trusted Jesus Christ. It might be that you need to say, I'm ready to trust Jesus to give my life to Him, to let Him be the Lord of my life. It might be that He's speaking to you about something else and that you have been walking and saying, God, I'm not ready for that yet. And you just need to obey and do what He calls you to do. We're going to sing that uh, hymn of invitation. But first, let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. And I thank you that, um, that you are a great and mighty God. And I thank you that, uh, that you guide us through your word and through your spirit. Father, I pray that as we, uh, as we live the lives that you have called us to live, Father, that we bring glory to your name, that we share the good news of Jesus Christ, that we worship you, that we worship him, and that we tell others about you and about your son. In his name we pray, amen.